Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Thank you for being here today. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Come on. Come on. Oh, nobody loves their spouse. I get it. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so this is it's such an interesting holiday, right? Valentine's Day. Man, is it dead in there? Be- Billy's happy, smile on his face. Um, Bella and I were, uh, were leading worship. She's my, my daughter, my oldest daughter. And, and we're leading worship in Texas at this church. And there's a pastor that was, um, Easter was approaching. And so I'm just having a conversation with him. I'm like, so what do you, you know, what does Easter look like around here for you guys? And he's like, oh, Easter is just, it's just a, any, any regular Sunday. We don't really do anything special. Um, you know, jaw hit the floor. I'm like, what? You don't do anything special on, on, on Easter? He's like, yeah, we just celebrate the resurrection every day. You know, I'm like, yeah, I tried that with, uh, when I was newly married with my wife, like Valentine's Day. It's, you know, it's just, I, I love you every day of the year. So I hope that goes better for you than it did for, for me. Uh, so, but Valentine's is such an interesting holiday, and, and multiple things can be true here. Yes, it's, it's over-commercialized. Can we all agree? It's over-commercialized? No. Yes. <sighs> yes, thank you. It's over-commercialized, yes, and, and you should express your love every day of the year, not just on one day of the year. And yes, Valentine's Day does come on one specific day on the calendar month. They all can be true at the same time. Now, you still have time if you haven't prepared to do something special. You don't have to spend a dime, but do something to show those you love, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your significant other, your friends, show them that you love them on this Valentine's Day. Okay, like, okay, so one, <laughs> just, anyway, one of my memories came up on this, this week on social media, and it was this, it was, I had, I had posted something about, uh, on, about a week ago, it said uh, this, and thus begins National Breakup Week, hashtag <laughs> Valentine's Day, because you have to, uh, you really have to make a decision. Uh, it's a serious thing. And what am I going to do on Valentine's? Is this serious enough for me to, to do something? And then what do I do? And what do I, what do I communicate? Am I over communicating by what I do? So it can be rough out there. Like, you know, I've been, we're coming up on 20 years. Oh, come on. Yes. There's a pulse. You're alive. Yes. Happy Valentine's day. Let's start again. Let's start again. Okay. Coming up on 20 years in, in June. And it was 23 years ago. Today that we went on our first date. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, I was young. I was stupid. Like, who goes on the first date? Oh, Valentine's Day. Like, anything you do is over-communicating. But wait, there's more. So I was young. Picture it. Christiansburg, Virginia, 1998. And if you're not hearing Sophia from the Golden Girls in your head right now, you, you didn't, <laughs> she didn't grow up in the 90s. So... Uh, but, but 23 years ago, on February 7th, one week before Valentine's Day, I asked Jen uh, to go on a walk. It was our first walk, 
right? We had uh, gone out with all our friends to see a movie. Maybe you've heard of it. Titanic. Yeah. So, you know, all, all of our college friends, all of our circles, we went out to see this movie and it was in the theater for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was like it was a big deal or something. And uh, so we returned to campus and we're hanging out in the co-ed lounge and we're the last ones there. It's just the two of us. We're playing cards. We're watching hockey on TV, you know, or just sitting there talking to each other. And I'm like, ask her a question because I'm not really a card player. I don't take your leave. I don't really like playing cards. Like, do, you like, uh, do you like playing cards? And she's like, eh, not really. I think it might be me. So I, there's a couple of more things I got to find out, though. I mean, you know, I, don't, I didn't want to ruin this friendship. Like, we had such a great friendship that I'm like, you don't want to, you don't want to make it awkward, you know. So I, I'm like, so do you, uh, do you like watching hockey? So I, I, you know, I, I like going to the games. And we would go, you know, as a college group, we'd, we'd go to the, the semi-pro Roanoke Express, come on, ride the train. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we'd watch, that was their, their theme song. So we'd, we'd go to the games and watch all the fights, and it was great. Uh, not so much the hockey, and so I wasn't, I'm not a hockey fan. I didn't like watching it on TV, yet it's on TV, and I ask her, do you like uh, watching hockey on TV? And she says, no, not really. I like going to the games. I'm like, oh, it's me. It is me. So I'm like, hey, would you like to go for a walk? So the, the, thus begins our, our first walk and she's like yeah let me go grab my coat and a cold front moved in and I walked outside and and I'm like feeling like a genius because it's like sleeting (laughs) and I had more hair than I do right now but it still was hurting my head as it would bounce off my scalp and I'm like waiting for it to come down like oh you idiot like you're getting off to a rocky start so she comes down take her on a walk and guys this is my this is my big line this is it well, I, I guess it's no secret that I like you. Yeah, <laughs> like, like that's it. That's a, uh, so, I, you know, it's, it's uh, how much thought do you put into that first line? But that was my, that was my first line. And so then this next, next day is, is a Sunday, and we're sitting in, in church, and, you know, and they, they do the, the meet and greet. Remember before COVID when we, you know, in some churches, did the meet and greet, and you'd have that meet and greet time, and so I get to, you know, I get to hug the person sitting next to me, and you lean in, you don't even know how to do it, and your glasses, yeah, it was, it was awesome, and, uh, but, you know, we've killed the the awkward meet and greet moment for for most people, thanks millennials, Um, thank you for that, so, you know, the, the awkward meet and greet, and then the pastor, at some point in the service, says this, uh, why don't you grab the hand of the person next to you? <laughs> oh, I was young, I, Bible college students, people like the things. And uh, so I got to hold the hand of the girl I just told last night that I liked. And so that was the first time we held hands was in church because the pastor's like, why don't you grab the hand? So this is great. And we, we begin this, this uh, relationship and that pastor probably has no idea that he's responsible for seven kids, right? Six with us, one in heaven. And, and, and I bet he has no idea that he's, he's responsible. So first, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby after baby after baby after baby after baby. Now, it, it, now it's, just, uh, uh, we're, it's just awkward, right? We've, we've, I've professed my like for her, but it's um, uh, awkward city. 
right? So we, we decided to go on our first date, and the first day that we could go on was Saturday, and it was Valentine's Day. And I didn't even think, oh, that's a bad move. Don't do that. I was just like, you know. And, and then wait, there's, there's more. So we go on our first date. And our first date was uh, up this mountain. We, we were in the wet, uh, mountains of West Turn, not West Virginia, but Western Virginia. Uh, I don't know why that may, makes a difference, but I didn't want you to think we we're in West Virginia because she's not my cousin or anything. Um, <laughs> so we're in the mountains of West Virginia and uh, take her up, up to this place called Mountain Lake. Right? I had to, guys, I didn't even have a car. I had to borrow my roommate's car so to take her on a date. Like, totally ill-prepared for uh, relationships at this moment. So, uh, so I take her on, on the date. We start going up the mountain, and there's, I start seeing, like, remember the cold front that moved through? So there's, like, skiffs of snow running across the, the road as we go up the mountain. And the higher we'd go, kind of the more snow and ice there would be until we get to the top of this mountain. And there, it's just like three feet of snow just blanketing everything. And it is like a winter wonderland. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous. What do you do for the second date? Because like, I could have just, like, let's go get a burger. You know, let's go, to a, let's go see Titanic again. You know, any, like what in the world? And so here I am. And Mountain Lake, uh, you've probably all actually seen Mountain Lake if you've seen the movie Dirty Dancing. Like it's the gazebo scene was part of, of Dirty Dancing was filmed there. So here's this resort on the top of this mountain with a with a lake and the gazebos on the lake and there's blankets of snow and uh, so and I had taken a boombox. Anybody remember boomboxes? Because I had my roommate had bought the soundtrack to Titanic, right? So <clears throat> I'm taking the tunes because the car didn't have a CD player, right? So so I'm taking my boom box with a CD up the mountain. Well, what you need in a boom box is batteries, the big D batteries, right? And what I didn't know was that my batteries were dead. So we get up there, you know, and the, the, the song starts playing. Celine just starts really singing us in. You know, we start, we're dancing on the side of this mountain, this beautiful overlook. And then, so Celine, you know, my heart would go on, but the music would not. My, my, my batteries would not go on. And uh, so there we are dancing to my humming, right? First date, people, first date. So where do you, where do you go from there? Uh, but we, uh, so that actually is the place where I would take her back two years later, almost two years later. No snow at this time. We're up the mountain. And uh, what, what she didn't know, I picked her up from work. She worked at a daycare, and it was the day before her birthday. So I had a little bit of cover. She had no idea I was proposing to her. And we go up, up the mountain to the, the gazebo, and I'd pack this cooler, you know, put the cheese and the crackers and the meat and the, the, the juice and, you know, basically a charcuterie board. Charcuterie. Yep. <laughs> really, I invented it. No big deal. Like, it's just, just a thing, you know. It's just thing I have, but uh, so, you know, we're doing, doing all that, and I'd, I'd had her, the same friend that, that um, I had, had her steal an outfit so I could pick Jen up um, from her work and give her clothes to change into, so she, she, you know, she gets all dressed up, and I, I said, get the, get the little black dress, you know, that one, and so she, <laughs> so she gets the dress, and uh, 
she's, you know, she's up there. She has no idea what's going on. And, and so I, I tell her, because I had the same friend get a necklace that uh, Jen had broken. I bought her this necklace. The necklace broke, and I'm getting it fixed for her birthday, right? So I, I let her know, hey, I got, you know, I got your necklace fixed. I had your, you know, Jody, she stole your, your dress, and she also got this necklace for me a couple weeks ago. I got it fixed. And uh, what I haven't told you is that I'd asked her parents a couple weeks prior um, we took the, the five-hour trip to her house, and I had asked her parents sitting at their table, you know, for their, their blessing, and they said no. Um, it did not go well. It was, <laughs> it was horrible. It was terrible, and I had the ring with me, and I, and I haven't even had a spot on our way home. It was a nice, pretty overlook, and I was like, that's where we were going to get engaged, and did not happen and so here we are, I'm like, this is pretty good round two though. So here we are up the mountain. I had called her dad, but she didn't know that. And I called her dad and her mom wasn't on the phone and I got permission, her blessing, not permission, <laughs> a little different. Um, I got their blessing to, to uh, marry her. So she had no idea. So she, she's still thinking, this isn't a proposal, this is a birthday. So I have her turn around and I put, I'm putting the necklace on her and she feels something heavy you know, hit her chest, and, and she's thinking, oh, he, he got me a pearl, he got me a pendant, you know, that we've been talking about, and uh, so she, you know, put the necklace on her, she, her fingers are going down, she gets to the ring, <gasps> turns around, and I am on one knee, I know, just, oh, yes, all the girls in the house, oh, even some of the guys, I heard you, I heard you, yes, she says, yes, <laughs> yes, she says, yes, and then, then this fear washes over her face. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, did you ask my dad? And I'm like, had it covered. I said, yes. He said, yes. And uh, it was great. It was great. She called her mom. She said, did he ask your dad? <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, but so we're, we're engaged, right? We, it's, it's beautiful. We love it. Valentine's Day is something for us that, that kind of remarks that uh, helps us to re remember, you know, that first date and all these things. And um, so there, there's people around the globe today, maybe even this room, um, that would want to propose, that would want to genuflect, that would want to, to take the knee, right? And so here's the thing for guys taking the knee. This is a sign. This is a, uh, you know, to ask that, that famous question, will you marry me? It's a sign of humility, right? It's a sign of, of deference. You're taking that lower position, it doesn't matter your status or position. It doesn't matter the power or authority that you have. At that moment, you're setting it all aside. You're taking the lowly position to get down on one knee and humbly propose marriage. Now, marriage is something that is used in Scripture to describe the relationship between Christ and the church. The church in scripture is referred to as Christ's body, which is a nod back to Genesis, right? Remember in Genesis when it says, the man shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, right? Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. So Jesus leaves his home in heaven. He leaves his father here with this lens and he steps into humanity so that his bride, us, the church, you and I can be one flesh, the body of Christ with Christ as the head. Ephesians 5, if you'll uh, turn your Bibles there with me this morning. Ephesians 5 speaks of husbands and wives. Then he quickly, he pivots to the mystery that is Christ and the church. So here he is in, in verse 31. 
of chapter 5. Therefore, a man shall leave. He's quoting that, that part in Genesis. His father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Watch him pivot. And I, I am saying, this is Paul, that it refers to Christ and the church. So a man leaving his father and mother, holding fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And remember, the Bible is to be read as a story. It's really Jesus redeeming humanity. Everything is connected. Everything is woman with Jesus as that common thread, that common theme. The Old Testament really informs the new and it's been said that to, to truly understand the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament, to which I would add that the reverse is, is also true. To truly understand the Old Testament, you have to know the new. But Jesus is the climax of the story. From humanity's separation in the presence uh, in the garden to our way back through Jesus' death on the cross. Right? It's all about and leading up to and how that we're now to live because of Jesus. Marriage from the beginning, all the way back in Genesis, it was instituted or created by God right, to be a reflection of and the pattern after Christ's relationship to us. We're the church. Consider for a moment why the enemy of your soul and mine would work so hard to distort, one, the image of God, but also the very thing that represents and reflects his relationship with you and me, the church. All right, he wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy marriages. He wants to distort your identity. You're not who you were born to be. Why would the enemy work so hard when you and I are, are to reflect the image of God and then together in a, in a, in a marriage relationship, we, we reflect the, same, the, the, the church, Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. But can we see where Christ would get down on one knee? Do we see Jesus getting down on one knee? Let's pray. Lord, we... We look to you. We look to you and your word. We want it to inform and shape who we are and who we're becoming. God, would you this morning, would you reveal more of you to us today? In your precious name, amen. Let's go ahead and turn on over to, to Philippians 2. Chapter 2, we're starting in verse 5. Um, the question is, did Christ ever get down on one knee? So read this with me and, and look through it with that, with that, that same lens. Did Christ ever get down on one knee? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus, being the very form of God, the word form here, its literal meaning is the true and exact nature of something, that something being God. But this, this passage really, it encapsulates everything that Jesus is, right? It re weaves together his preexistence, his incarnation, which is really just a, a big word to say, uh, to describe Jesus putting, stepping into human flesh. Um, my good friend would say, uh, Jesus con carne. 
It was uh, Jesus with meat, with flesh on, and uh, very, uh, very catchy, very clever, and you would expect as much from Joe, I believe. Um, so, uh, so his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, right, they're all wrapped up in there. Stepping into human flesh, right, his preexistence, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, that Jesus would empty himself, Right, other versions, one that you might be reading this morning, say that he made himself of no reputation, that he, he made himself nothing, or that he gave up his divine privileges. See, these translators, they're all trying to communicate. They're all trying to fully explain what Jesus did here. And let me restate what I said, said early about the man as he gets down on one knee to ask that question. It doesn't matter your status or position, the power or authority you have. At that moment, you're setting it all aside and you're taking a lowly position to get down on one knee and humbly propose marriage. Did Jesus get down on one knee? I believe he did. Um, this passage in, in Paul's epistle or, or letter to the Philippians is, is known as the hymn of Christ. This section there, that five, five through 11. And many scholars, they would say that Paul is most likely here quoting an early Christian hymn. And the hymn would have been circulating around the early church and um, if you were to read and understand it in its Greek context, you would, you would hear and feel the rhythm and, and flow of these, these verses, very poetic, but it, it also uses some, some of these rare Greek words, which would further uh, really suggest that Paul adheres. He's not just on a whim, right? He's not just making it up on the spot. But there's this one part that we believe Paul did add. It's out of place with the poetic rhythm, like it just doesn't uh, fit in with that, that hymn, and it's found in verse 8. If you look at that, in verse 8 it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's all, that's all part of it. But even death on a cross, that last part, even death on a cross, it seems to be something that, that Paul decided to add. Now maybe uh, the, the hearers, they're, they're familiar with the hymn, and they would, they would see that this sticks out. They, they would see that this is an addition. Or maybe the emphasis is there because it breaks with the form and flow of the hymn, like he's improving, he's ad-libbing there. But either way, Paul's being very deliberate like he, in what he, he's trying to communicate to the church there in Philippi. So when we look at his audience in, in Philippi, uh, we know that there were, there were many Roman citizens. In fact, the two main divisions of societal classes were Roman citizens and those who were not. So the Roman citizens, they very much celebrated their, their status. They had a lot of pride in their citizenship. Right? To be a Roman citizen, you had to be born with it. Right? You could be awarded it for some extraordinary feat or some extraordinary act. Or you, you paid a large sum of money. And we see that in, in some other scriptures where uh, they would have paid large sum of money for their citizenship. And, and so to a Roman citizen, the, the crucifixion or death on a cross was the lowest and most humiliating death. In fact, it was reserved for non-citizens. It wasn't even something that a Roman citizen would endure because it was below their status but not Jesus. Not, not Jesus. As if leaving his place in heaven wasn't enough. He took the form of the lowest of slaves. Remember Jesus washing his disciples' feet? Right, that was the, in the household uh, servant or slave, that was the lowest thing. The lowest one would get to wash the feet of the guests, and that's what, what Jesus would do. Then he dies the lowest, most excruciating and humiliating death, that being the death on a cross. See, this would rub right in the face of Roman citizenship. 
it would already be this barrier, this stumbling block for Romans, Roman citizens to receive Christ, to receive salvation. But God stepping into humanity and then taking their punishment by dying a death, if that, if that wasn't tough enough for them to, to see, you know, Jeff and I were, were praying this morning and he was talking about the, he prayed about the, the foolishness of the cross, that people would, would accept this, this message because uh, they, they, it would be called in scripture, foolish, this, this foolish message. And, and so when you hear it through how a Roman citizen would have heard it, it's like, what? That, that God would step, one, that he would step into humanity and then he wouldn't come as a king, he would come as a servant. And even that, he would die a death that was the lowest reserved for people who were not even of a, of a class of, of a Roman citizen, but of the lowest of the low. But why does it even matter how he died? Isn't it enough that he just died? But Paul leans in and he adds that part. Remember, he, he improvs a bit and he adds this to the hymn. Even death on a cross. He wants to, to really drive home that it wasn't just that God come, came down and took the form of a servant and died, but he died death on a cross, the most humiliating death. He doesn't shy away, but he digs in because the humility of Christ is the point. So as we read this hymn and we look at the, the forms that Jesus takes, remember the form here is the true or exact nature. Though he was in the form of God, he took the form of a servant. Stepping into humanity, if that wasn't low enough in comparison to being God, he was born to a lower class family, right? He was, he was born into the home of a, of a Jewish carpenter and his death for your sins, his death for mine was the most excruciating and humiliating death of crucifixion. Execution by death on a cross where he would be shamed, he'd be ridiculed. It was in public for all to see as he would hang there, stripped naked, bruised and beaten, bloodied. Being found in human form, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's look at Hebrews 12. Second verse is this, to looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That joy is you. That joy is me. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy, you are the joy. I am the joy. He endured the cross. See, I remember being in concert band in sixth grade. Anybody else? Concert band, sixth grade? Yeah. But there was no way my parents enjoyed that mess. <laughs> it was definitely, but for the joy. Me, they endured it. Anybody have a kid starting out in, in soccer, right, when they were younger, and they'd just be this one big crazy blob running after a ball? <laughs> There's like no offense, no defense, no midfielder, like nothing. Or if you're, you're like mine, they're pulling off some ballerina move out in midfield, <laughs> kicking at flowers, and they have no idea where their teammate, they, teammates are, no idea where the ball is. Uh, if, you, uh, if you see my oldest, give, give my regards. Um, but it's something you endure. You endure it for the joy that is your kids. All right, listen, he, he despised every agonizing minute of the cross. He despised its shame. 
but you hung in the balance. His death for your life. His pain for your freedom. His shame, his rejection for your acceptance and your forgiveness. His love drove him to a position of weakness. His love, it drove him to a position of weakness for your sake, for the sake of mankind. And he is seated, right, he goes on, doesn't end, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That wasn't the, his death was not the end of the story. It is finished. It is done. The song we're about to sing says, we sing hallelujah. Through Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you and I have access to the Father and the promise of eternal life. But Paul here in Philippians 2 is writing about you and me having the mind of Christ, that we would have that same mind. What Christ did for me should change my love and sacrifice for others. Listen as he writes to, to the church in Philippi, starting in, in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, here it is, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So I don't know if you remember when Paul was actually in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, but surely this is, is in the mind of, of, of the hearers and the early readers of this letter. This was so impactful that it made it into Luke's highlight reel, right? The 30-year history of the early church is recorded in the book of Acts. Luke's historical account, it uses his rhetorical writing style, meaning that, that he, he saves like in each of these little narratives that he's talking about as he's recounting, he uses this tension, right? He builds this tension and resolves at the end. It's this big reveal or this big twist to drive home a point. And he's, he's retelling this account in Acts 16 of Paul and Silas being arrested. And this is when they were, they were put in stocks and they, they're, in, they're in the inner prison after being beaten. And it's about midnight and Paul and Silas, they're, they're praying and they're singing hymns and maybe it's, it's one of the, maybe it's the hymn of Christ that, that Paul's later recording in this book. But the other prisoners are all listening in. So maybe he's singing that though he was in the form of God, he did not count. All right, it's more poetic and more rhythmic if it's in Greek. I'm sure it sounded much better. But there's this earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken, right? And the, the bonds fall off. The they're unfastened and the, the jailer wakes up and he's about to fall on his sword. He's about to kill himself because he assumes that all the prisoners are gone. But Paul cries out. He says, do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer's response to Paul and the prisoners essentially sparing his life instead of running free is what must I do to be saved? Right? Him and his whole household are saved. And accepting Jesus that Paul preached about and that Paul's singing about that night and they're all baptized that night, his whole household. So here, here are the words of Paul to the Philippian church in chapter two. Do nothing, verse three, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also 
to the interests of others. This is exactly, this is exactly what Paul was doing, exactly what he was exemplifying. When, he, when the chains fall off and the doors fling open and he's free to go, he's got his freedom, this miraculous has happened, the earth, is, the earth shook, his chains fall off, the doors fly open and he's free to go, but he knew the jailer was doomed. You lose all those prisoners and your life is over. You, you don't even get put in prison. Like, you're an example now to what happens when you fall asleep on your watch. And so his life was over. So instead of allowing that to happen, he decides to kill himself and Paul stops him. The next day, the, the magistrates send word and, and they're going to release Paul and Silas. See, them being flogged and beaten and put in prison, it was all done to send a message, to, to make an example out of these Jews, these perceived non-citizens. And this Jesus they preached was, was turning the world upside down and they just, they were losing money. They were, it, was, it was affecting their society. And they're like, let's, let's put the squash on this. Read the whole account when you get a chance in Acts 16. It's, it's a pretty good read. I recommend it. But Paul's not having it. He's like, you've beaten us publicly. You've wrongly imprisoned us without a trial, even when, here it is, we were Roman citizens. And the readers, like, you got to understand, as they're hearing this, they're like, oh, snap. They beat Paul and Silas. They arrested him. They put him in prison. And they were Roman citizens. Oh, like, what's going to happen now? Like we read it and we, that, that's really not a big deal to us. But to them, they're like, uh-oh, it is on. They beat Roman citizens. They're without a trial. They're in, oh my. That's, that's why Luke wrote it. He saved, the, the, he saved that till the end. We, we, we could have known early on, as Luke's telling the story, that they were Roman citizens. But he saves it, saves it to the end. And this is where his, that rhetorical style comes in. And uh, the big reveal, Right? But Paul says this, he says, no, uh, let the magistrates come down and, and bring us out them, themselves. He wants it to be public. He doesn't want it to be done in secret. And so Acts 16, verse 38 says this. He says, the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. All right, this was pivotal for the church in Philippi. They needed to understand that, that Christianity was not a threat to Rome. And by appealing to his citizenship, he, right, he forces them to publicly show that they made a mistake. And this was a big deal for the church in its infancy. And so we know that the church survived because here's Paul writing to the church later. But Paul exemplifies the mind of Christ as he didn't consider his citizenship something to be grasped. Does it sound familiar? He took the form of a prisoner, wrongly beaten and accused, and he humbled himself and he found himself in chains so that the jailer and his whole household would be saved. The church in Philippi and the readers of Acts through the centuries and you and me, right, to show us how to live out our lives having the mind of Christ. That we would be that same example. And if you read through, through Paul's letters to, to the early church, He's writing to a mix of Gentile and Jew, slave and free, Roman citizen and non, men and women. And you can, you can hear as you read his call for unity, his call for love, his call for humility, his call for mutual submission toward one another all throughout his writings. And here especially in the hymn of Christ in Philippians 2, he is detailing everything that is Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, 
his resurrection, his ascension, right? This echoes Jesus' own words as he would answer the religious leaders as they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and without taking a breath. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the more you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more you grow closer to God, you should also be growing in your love and sacrifice and service to those around you, to others. It's the mind of Christ. It follows the example of Christ. John, he'd write it like this, the Apostle John, that everyone would know that we are the disciples of Jesus by our love. It's Valentine's Day. All the answers are going to be love, just, to, just so you know. It's really easy. I learned that from, from Pastor Jeff. Just make, it, make the test easy. We'll know we are his disciples by our love. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is? Yes. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does not love his brother whom God has seen? For who, for he, sorry, let me back up. This is important. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We are to follow that example of Christ, that example of Paul, that that, that Philippian jailer and his whole household would be saved because of the actions of Paul, because he wouldn't consider his Roman citizenship something to, to be grasped, but he would, he would lay down his, his rights. And that jailer and his whole household would come to know the Lord because of it. You are going to a, a job tomorrow or you're in a family where there's people that need to know that you are going to love and lay down your life for them no matter who they are, what they do, that you would lay your life down for them, that you would be that example of, of Jesus, be that example that, that Paul set out, that you wouldn't say what you deserve or cling on to your rights, but you'd lay them down. Why? Because Jesus, he didn't leave any room. He stepped down from his position in heaven and put on human flesh. And if that wasn't low enough, he took the lowest form of a servant and he washes his disciples' feet. And if that wasn't low enough, he died the most humiliating, excruciating death, publicly shamed the lowest of the low. You can't, you can't outlow God. He stepped down to the lowest of the lowest position in order to save you, in order to save me. And he said, would you love others in the same way? Would you lay down your rights, your political persuasions? Would you look past what they look like, what they sound like, and love them anyway. It's not about affirming a lifestyle. It's not about accepting. It's about loving and serving. It doesn't matter who they are, what they believe, what they do, that we would love and serve them and lay down our life for them anyway.
It's what Jesus did. And what, it's what Paul did. And those people in your workplaces are gonna come to know Jesus in their whole households. All right, those families that you have influence and impact over, they're gonna come to know the Lord and their, their lives and the trajectory of their family is gonna be changed because of you, because you laid down your, your rights and you loved and you served no matter what. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we pray that we would be those who have the mind of Christ. We'd be those who have your mind that we would lay down our lives for those around us, God, that we would, we would lay down our rights, our privileges, so that people can see your heart and your love and, Lord, the truth of the, of the cross and what it meant for you to come and step into humanity and put human flesh on and serve and, and, and to die. You didn't come as a king, you came as a servant. You didn't come as royalty, you came and you were born into the house of a carpenter. Jesus, you would go to any depths, any heights in order that we might be saved. God, would we have that same heart and mind towards those that we're gonna impact, those that we have influence over. God, would we lay down everything to serve and love others in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.